This is Sacred Tension. The podcast. <laughs> what is it? I just, I contemplated making a fart noise <laughs> just to see what you would do with it, but I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Blow it away. I know. It's episode three and I started drinking. Um, yeah, I'm I'm not the one drinking this no, time. No, not at all. Amazingly. I'm being great. I'm the sober one this time. Yeah. Um, <laughs> This is Sacred Tension, the podcast about the spiritual discipline of asking questions. My name is Stephen Long. We're here on the Theology Corner Podcast Network. I'm still here with Matt Langston, my co-host for this week. Loving it. We are still here with Timothy. <laughs> Hello. <laughs> so we're we're in the process of talking about Timothy's shift in theology, which allowed him to come to an affirming position on homosexuality, but also on himself, uh, for himself as a a man attracted to men. And so we're going to keep talking about that theological shift that allowed that transformation to happen. I I think you had mentioned wanting to read a poem. Does this have to do with that? Well, there's the concept of the, the bridging together of sexuality and spirituality, which for us in the West, is a very taboo concept. Mm. We just don't even think of that as possible. You said several weeks, or you said a week or two ago, that we are surrounded by God and we are surrounded by sex. Oh, yeah. Yeah. It's springtime. Look outside. What do you think is going on? Exactly. I really wish I had put windows in the studio now. (laughs) 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 There's nature porn all around us. (laughs) I'm just kidding. I mean, it's just what it is, And, and... the fact that we try so hard to pretend otherwise is really kind of ridiculous. Yes. Every day I get a email from Dr. Richard Rohr from the Center for Action and Contemplation. And Dr. Richard Rohr is very important to me because he represents a kind of Christian spirituality that I really connect with mm-hmm. now. Uh, it's new to me, but I find it great. But he's... This last week of during his um, daily de- daily meditations, the whole year he has dedicated to the concept of theosis and the concept mm. of mm. the us being made in the image and likeness of God. And, right. and this week, week sixteen, he's talking about gender and sexuality. How appropriate, yes, for what's going on. And but it was interesting. This is this is actually today's today's meditation. And he's quoting uh, John O'Donohue when he says, the body is a sacrament, a visible sign of invisible grace. All our inner life and intimacy of soul longs to find an outer mirror. It longs for a form in which it can be seen, felt, and touched. The body is the mirror where the secret world of the soul comes to expression. The body is a sacred threshold and it deserves to be respected, minded, and understood in its spiritual nature. The body is the temple of the Holy Spirit. And then Richard Rohr says, how we relate to one thing is probably how we relate to everything. How we relate sexually to ourselves and others is a good teacher for how we relate to God. Hmm. And how we relate to God is an indicator of how we will relate to everything else. Religion, as its root, religio, which means to re-ligament indicates is the task of putting our divided realities back together human and divine male and female heaven and earth 
sin and salvation, mistake and glory, matter and spirit, this is the task of every human life. The mystics, including many faithful lovers, parents, friends, and artists, are those who reconnect what has been separated and experience deep intimacy and union with God, self, and others. Quote-unquote sinners are those who keep everything divided and never enjoy things in their wholeness. When we only relate to parts instead of wholes, we make terrible mistakes, and we all do this in one way or another. Mm. Well, that's just sort of is a good summary of Mm. my life. Absolutely. The separatedness, it was by nature separated because of a kind of Christian spirituality that really really did not want to see a coming together of matter and spirit, a very dualistic approach, Mm. you know, with great emphasis upon the intellect, which is also very, very Protestant Christianity. But then, you know, that other part of me, the matter part that never really got to the spiritual part connected to it, given my same-sex attractedness, I felt it. I felt a separation with my body and my sexuality. I mm-hmm. mean, there was so many disconnections in my life. It's that. It's that concept of the undividedness of the human experience, which is also it's connecting the body to the spirit, to the mind. It's just. It's. It's all about living in wholeness. Yeah, and I think that's. And for me, that's. That's been a journey of understanding the concept that has long been a part of Christian spirituality, which is theosis, Hmm. which is, there was an author, Michael Gorman, wrote a book basically about theosis, but taking it all from the perspective of the Apostle Paul, who never uses the term. But Gorman's definition thinks of theosis as divine intention and action, human transformation, and it is the goal of the human experience. So that has been transformative for me as a Christian, as someone who still holds very deeply to Orthodox Christian teaching, and of course, how that played into my decision to live honestly into my my reality is coming to grips with the concept of how can how can theosis be true mm. how can i live into it and continue to live so dissected so separated within myself separated in my relationship with god separated in relationship to you know what are my deepest honest feelings about intimacy and eroticism and all of that. I mean, mm-hmm. what what theosis describes is not about this kind of separatedness that we all grow up sort of assuming is just what we get. Theosis meaning union, union with, with God. Union with God. Union with God. That's yeah. the simplest English translation of that, that okay. we, we are being united with God. No one was more fundamental in teaching me this than the late Robert Weber, who the evangelical church knows very well, mm-hmm. but he himself documents his amazing journey to understanding theosis in his final book, which is considered his 
magnum opus, The Divine Embrace. Mm. And basically, he just, he espouses what has historically been Christian spirituality, which is that we are mystically united to God through Christ by the Spirit, Mm -hmm. period. I mean, that's just the shortest, clearest definition that you can get. We are united to God through Jesus Christ by the Holy Spirit. It's just such a picture of completeness. It's a picture of wholeness. It's a, it's a picture of provision. You know, so often, you know, we talk within the evangelical church about grace. We talk about submission. We talk about purity. We talk about lots and lots of things. We talk about dying to ourselves. And I'm not saying none of that is true, but you know what I don't think I heard very much about was how not only was God interested in saving me, but he had even bigger plans. Mm. He has bigger plans for the entire creation. That's the story of God. Those bigger plans being him drawing all things to himself. Exactly. Yeah. When we talk about, you know, the recapitulation of creation— it's not just that it's going to be restored to what it was. It's going to be better than it was. Yes. I mean, everything we know today about the world is less than. Mm. Everything is less than it was intentionally meant to be. I mean, I wonder what a tomato in the Garden of Eden tasted like. Everything is approximate. Everything in is this approximate. Life. And we live in approximates all the time. Yeah. And, you know, I used to think that way about my same-sex attraction. You know, you were talking about, in a, uh, previously, about accommodation, a kind of theology of, of accommodation about what do we do in the church with these same-sex attracted people? We've mm. got to give them something to cling on to. So we sort of tell them, well, it's, it can't be really good because it's not exactly as God meant it to be. But you can sort of experience some of it. You can get bits and pieces of it. Well, you know what? I think heterosexual couples are still experiencing life in their intimacy, in their sexual relations. They're experiencing them in a form of approximation. Mm. They don't even know what that is Mm. in its fullness. But just the concept that when things are remade, recreated, when all this comes to pass, which I believe it will, I trust that it will, it'll even be beyond what it was in the in the beginning. Mm. So basically, this idea of theosis allows you to come to God and be united to God as a gay man, or as, as you, yeah, as yeah. Timothy, but that includes your sexual orientation because it's your it whole includes being. all of me it's your whole being it's exactly. your whole person and so to come to god not not just with part of you but with all of you and that that is what theosis is about is the totality of who you are being mm-hmm. merged with with god being united with god and and so basically what i'm hearing is that the experience your experience and my experience within the church is that we as lgbt people are only allowed fragments of that because we are not allowed 
to stand before God as our whole selves. We have to leave something behind. We Are have you talking to... about that in relation to how you believe that the church views you or what, they've, our, what you feel like they're trying to yeah, well, guard our, access to? Yes, absolutely. The theology that we were given in the community that we were born into did not allow us to stand before God as a whole human being. And you know, a really wise friend of mine said, and I know that I've talked about this before on the show, but but he said that repression is not a fine instrument with which you can go into your psyche and just cut away, you know, with surgical precision that one thing in your life that you don't like. Right. Repression is a blunt instrument. And when you shut down something like your orientation, you shut down your capacity for friendship, for spirituality, for creativity for all of you know all of these different things and and so when we shut down our sexuality we cannot stand before god as a whole being and i just remember I, like clear as day clear as day that moment when i first allowed myself to entertain the possibility of being in a relationship with a man mm. and it felt like a boulder that had been crushing me for my entire life suddenly lifted and I was suddenly able to be a more whole person and to be a better Christian because I was more integrated with myself. It gave me permission to stop hiding. Exactly. I mean, it was so, it's very, very liberating. And, and theosis historically has basically been viewed as two two or three events or activities that basically are part of what Gorman would call human transformation. God has intended that we will dwell with him forever, and because God's character is, you know, it's his essence, we will never be God's essence, but we can be basically transformed towards his likeness as we're transformed. So what happens is, as we are part of the church, the ecclesial community, as we participate in the sacraments, as we participate in worship, that's part of the transforming process. As we pray and meditate and contemplate on scripture and things of God, we are transformed. And as we are in the world, compassionately being the feet, the hands, the ears, the mouth, the eyes, the heart of God in the world, all three of these activities transform us into God-likeness. I mean, it's said, I mean, good evangelicals read the writings of Paul. He is not vague about what he says is going to happen. I mean, he says we are sons and daughters of God. I mean, we have to become more like God to dwell with him forever. Mm -hmm. he's not going to become more like us. And as I like to just say, God's got this. Mm -hmm. This has been his plan from the beginning. And as we have been told throughout the history of the church, we are given the opportunity to participate in this. I mean, everything has been provided. Everything that is required has been provided to us. So when we are baptized... We are basically joined to the death and resurrection of, of Christ. By faith, we trust. When we take the Eucharist, when we take the Lord's Supper, I believe that mystically Christ is present in that. We put it in our mouth. We swallow him. 
quote unquote. He moves through our system. Now that may just sound like crazy, crazy talk, but I get, I really get it. Mm-hmm. I believe it. And when I take, when I take the elements and when I swallow them, I pray. I, I give thanks to God and ask him, I ask, I ask this every time I say, Christ, may your love, your light, and your life show up all over my body because you're coming into me. I mean, Paul says it. We are in Christ. Christ is in us. Is that just pretty talk or does it mean something? Hmm. Why? Why do we, why are we, why is he in us and why are we in him? Why are we one body? I, I mean... You can't just hold on to Paul and not just talk a little bit about theosis. It's all, it's everywhere in his writing. Mm. And so all of this was such a, it was kind of a green light for me. It said, go. Yeah. Because, you know, what, what have you, what are you waiting for? He is ready. He's not afraid. God is not afraid of you as you are. And I give, you know, as I stand there and and swallow the mystical presence of Christ into my body, I give him thanks. I say, I am in you, you are in me, you are happy with me. Mm. Just thinking about that act of taking the elements, taking the Eucharist, and how when I take the Eucharist, I'm taking it as a gay man's body and the the presence of Christ being integrated with my being and how that speaks again to the reality to the fact that we can't come before God as divided creatures Mm-mm. and so when i take the eucharist when you take the eucharist we do so as gay men mm-hmm. also it just it reminds me of you know my my stint in the catholic church when i was in in the process of converting and how I would, and my partner is a former Jesuit, and he is, I guess he would be called a lapsed Catholic, but he's still Catholic. We would be denied the Eucharist at a lot of churches Mm -hmm. because we are in a loving gay relationship. We Mm -hmm. would be denied that kind of intimacy with Christ because we are gay bodies, and we wouldn't be able to come before God as whole beings, as as gay men. Which, which, Which brings me to another thing that, you know... For for me is is such a well. It really is what motivates. It's what motivated me to have this conversation with the two of you today. Is that I would like to say to at least one person who feels like the church has denied them access to God. Mm. They had no right to take God away from you, mm. and you need to come back to God mm. because because I believe in theosis and because I believe we are made in the in the image and likeness of God. Your DNA will not allow you to pretend that you're not a spiritual being. To quote David Dark, one of my guests on the show who I really love, he yeah. says, life's too short to pretend you're not religious. I cannot, I, I just don't believe that human beings, I mean, I, I believe the energy of God is in everything. I mean, I'm basically a, now have become very much a sacramentalist about all of creation. I mm. believe God is, is, the imprint of God is everywhere. It's in the beautiful pine paneling in the studio. It's everywhere. It's in the unicorns on the wall. No, I don't know about the unicorns, but anyway. I think God is in the unicorns. Well, you would. Um, <laughs> His power exists in the horn. Moving on. And um, so I believe that no one can just say, I can just get through life and 
spiritual things are, are of no value to me, of, of no interest to me. I, d- I don't think it's in our ability to silence that within us. Mm. I think it absolutely, it screams out. And, you know, I feel like I, I have had restricted access to God as a same-sex attracted conservative evangelical Christian. But does that mean that you still in some way feel like American Protestant evangelicalism somehow are gatekeepers to that? Or do you just feel like it was these ideas that they presented to you that constantly kept beating you down, like making you feel like you could not be good enough or like that that these ideas that they presented were denying you access? Well, what I would say is... I think they are gatekeepers, but I think they're fundamentally gatekeepers of truth. Not so much wanting to keep me out of the church because I'm gay. Of but actual wanting to truth ke- or of their truth? Well, no. Their version of the scriptures, which they believe right. are inerrantly true. Right. And because that is the origin point for everything there. Whereas now, I just feel like... I'll go I've watch got, another movie. I've got <laughs> I've got I've got full access to God. Yeah. And it's a wonderful thing. The sense I'm gonna see if I can put this into words. The idea that suddenly I didn't have to change in order to experience union with the divine. Yes. Absolutely powerful. So you said something a minute ago. You said that if there's if there's something that you want to tell people, if you were hurt by the church, that they they the church had no what was it again? The church had no right. Right. The church had no right to take God away from you. That's right. I'm really curious to hear if you could look back on young Timothy in the closet or at any any other point in your life, and if you could look at other people, young people, going through this battle of trying to reconcile their faith and their orientation to things they did not choose. They didn't mm. choose to be born Christian, and they didn't choose to be born gay. And that battle to reconcile those two things, what would you say? Uh, I think the first thing I would say to them is, if you, if you find yourself in a non-affirming place, ask Pray to God for a way of escape. Yeah. Because you need to get out of that. And and when I say non-affirming, I guess not that I need to say this to the two of you, but I think I've, I've already said earlier that I believe that the scriptures are clear about the fact that, you know, affirming that same-sex attracted people exist and have spirituality and have sexuality and need to bring those two things together, I'm still conservative enough to say, I want to see that expressed in mutual, loving, monogamous, caring, complete relationships. I don't believe in the affirming concept as just go and do whatever you want to do. Well, I feel like Christians put a lot of riders on the bills they want to pass. Yeah. So if you if you decide that one thing is wrong, it's like you, you can't just. I feel like when I was growing up, I, I homosexuality was so grouped in and married alongside all of these other issues. Where mm-hmm. it's like if you're a homosexual, you must be vehemently denying Christ, denying God, 
denying your creator, not following him, <laughs> living in opposition, yeah. have a rebellious, probably also a pedophile. Yeah. I was like, told that I would die at the age of 40. Right. Mm-hmm. All yeah. of it's bullshit. It's bullshit. None of it works in the real world. It's all untrue. We can all call everybody out on it. None of that has done anything except devalue human life and cost it. Mm. So many people have lost their lives and maybe they're still living. Some people have lost their lives entirely because they couldn't figure out a way to rectify Mm -hmm. their spirituality and their existence and, and whatever the tribe that they found themselves in within Christianity. That's one of the things, that's what I think makes your story so powerful is that you can't, you, it's just such an ignorant argument to say, well, if gay, then all these other things. No, in no way. Gay well, is not a sex act. Right. Yeah. Well, it's like it's like someone that I, I read recently. I think it was John Corvino. Yes. In his book, What's Wrong with Homosexuality, he talks about the, you know, Paul's argument in, in Romans, which, of course, for, for people who really want to use that scripture as condemning, you really need to do some research on what Paul was really addressing in uh, that. Romans was, 1? Romans 1. Yes, okay. He was addressing how Roman Jews were mistreating Gentiles. I mean, that's part of the really mm. what he's, he's addressing in that, because he's calling them, to be quite honest, hypocritical. Right. In the way they're supposed to be treating their Christian brothers and sisters. I mean, these are these are Roman Jews who became Christian and and so forth. But anyway, he talked about the fact that you know if you look at that argument there and you don't think it through, you would assume that oh, anyone who idolatrous is gay. Mm-hmm. Well, don't we all know idolatrous people who are heterosexual, mm-hmm. and don't we know gay people who are devout i mean it breaks down i mean there's mm-hmm. there's no evidence that every idolatrous person is same sex attracted on the planet and i know gay couples who are a better witness to the sanctity of marriage than a lot of straight mm-hmm. people mm-hmm. than a lot of straight marriages that i know so getting back to your question what i say first of all ask god to help you find a way of escape from the condemnation especially within the religious community if it's if if you are still being basically abused because you're you're repeatedly told that you are subhuman you need to get out of that educate yourself really educate yourself about what what it's like to live number 1 in a culture that's not welcoming i mean if you've if if you are a gay man and you've not read the velvet rage get it tonight and read it because it'll explain Absolutely. it'll explain everything that you've known and it it'll it and Alan Downs helps you find the steps to get out because you don't have to be shamed you don't have to be constantly enraged you don't have to be forever needing to validate your existence mm. you know there's all there is recovery available as he talks about it in that book. I mean, really do some, especially if you are within the Christian community, read some excellent books that really do break down the scriptures that have been used to condemn you. Educate yourself. Know what you're talking about. Know what know what those scriptures really were addressing. And, you know, thirdly, you've got to get a community around you. You've got to get a community of support around you. I mean, it's it's almost not possible for 
the people in the community that I used to be a part of, that would be the, I'll just go down the list, mm-hmm. you know, the, uh, 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 the, the community of privilege. Okay, here we go. Because I was all of these. White, educated, middle-class, Republican, Protestant, conservative, evangelical, and male, and in male, and in air quotes, heterosexual. Right. I could check every box. The last box was a little dim, but I could check. (laughs) A bit fuzzy. A little fuzzy. (laughs) And now I've erased most of those checks. Yeah. And now for the first time in my life, I have sympathy for black people like I never had before. Yeah. Women, Hispanics. Wait a minute. Are you saying that you lost your life and found it? Mm, That sounds like a book I've read. (laughs) You know, I, you know, when, when they said sign on the dotted line, I obviously signed every single line. Yeah. You know, politically, I don't want to be liberal or conservative. I wish someone would let me decide how I feel about every issue. I hate platforms. Yeah. Because look, look where platforms have gotten us. Mm -hmm. You know, platforms have gotten us, you know, to use a little current event you know, with someone named Mike Pompeo being, you know, interviewed, you know, to be the next Secretary of State. And he is on record as calling people like me perverse. That's not comforting that we would have a Secretary of State who views LGBTQ and all the other letters that go after it. I, so this might sound really insensitive of me for saying this, but I, when I hear you say things like that, I, I also think to myself, Gosh, Matt, you're so lucky to live in a time where you can see these different things shifting. I feel Absolutely. I mean, I feel like the people I feel like people our age, Stephen, who are we don't have the same baggage as our parents. We don't have the same history as our grandparents. We grew up in an entirely different world. And not only that, we've seen the world reinvent itself several times over since since we've been alive, just with technology and everything, I think I just get really excited thinking that all of these people who are clinging on to their world, to their viewpoints, to their biases, to their interpretations, to their religions, to their dusty old books and buildings and ways of doing things, unfortunately... Or maybe fortunately, they're going to die soon. I mean, and not not only that. <laughs> I can't. I mean, it's, yes. <laughs> that, that sounds so insensitive to say, but you don't get to take the whole world along with you. And the more shit that you leave here, the happier we're going to be when you're gone. <laughs> and and somebody will say that about me one day. I will be that old curmudgeon, old curmudgeony person who's like, "Gosh, back in my day, it was the best thing ever." That just, I it just makes me so happy to. To feel like it would, at one point, at one point in our culture, it would have been so weird for you to say everything that you just said. Oh, absolutely. But right now, it is so affirming. It is so life giving. It is so empowering to not just me, but but to other people who have found themselves in the exact same situation. And it's almost like people are just waking up to the yeah. fact that like we can't keep electing people. That hold on, you like these these things that we hold on to and these platforms that these people use for election and for power and for influence. None of us care about them. We we're not going to elect anybody that like that cares about those things. Like the, it, I feel like they're 
it is shifting. I don't know if it's always for the better. I don't know if it's for the worse. I just, I'm glad that whatever is happening here feels like it's on its way out. I want to say that when I was 18, yeah, I could not be doing what I am doing sure. now. I mean, 40 years later, I'm doing something that I could not have done then. So yes, there's there's a very positive shift. What is is the most grievous to me is that there's not been a lot of shift in the church. Mm-hmm. There's not been much shift in the in the broader American church in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of government policies I could voice an opinion on, but... But people are also leaving the church. Yes. The church in America is shrinking, and, and probably rightfully so. It's still, at, at least in certain pockets of this country, sure. still has an immense impact on people's lives. I mean, I was I was at someone's house the other night. They had the television on a South Carolina channel and I saw my home state. And I your home your home state. <laughs> your home yep. state. And <laughs> and I watched two commercials for yeah. people running for governor there. Mm-hmm. And I was horrified. <laughs> <laughs> does yep. it seem kind of like an SNL sketch when you're watching people run for office in South Carolina? <laughs> it, it does. But but what what frightened me is that ex- the things the the posture they were taking, the narrative they were speaking, you could hear coming out of the mouth of a of a Mike Pence, yeah, who is zealously homophobic. But you know, to have someone who's being interviewed for the job of Secretary of State and has such strong feelings about Muslims and gay people. And you're going, you know, the Secretary of State for a country represents an ideology around the world. Right. I am so grateful that I, I live at a time when I can be doing this and not fear for my life. Mm. Absolutely. And I don't take it for granted that there are people, well, there are people in countries, well, provinces in sure. Russia, yep. you know, who are being tortured and exterminated for just acknowledging who they are. It transfers. I mean, I, I really, you know, I'm sorry, but I really do believe that if you can easily marginalize one group of people, you can easily marginalize many groups of Absolutely. people. Well, you've also betrayed your own belief about yourself that you're superior. If anybody can be marginalized and you're somehow, then you, you show the rest of the world that you think you're somehow better than them or that you deserve more than them or you're more privileged or that you are above their humanity. And see, this, this, of course, you would expect would bring me back to theosis because it's all I really want to talk about. Yeah. But, but no, because when you comprehend the concept of theosis and that it is God's delight that we would be transformed into his likeness and dwell with him forever, you can't look at another person and not see that they have the same possibility. Mm. Absolutely. Wow. I mean... Every person has the ability to participate in that. Now, how can I look at anyone else and go, yeah, you can. No, you can't. Yeah. Mm. You get that option, but but sorry, but you don't get that option. You know, that's just... Or to and, use something as trivial as someone's sexuality to marginalize them. Or culture Why? or yeah. color of their skin. Absolutely. Yeah. My world has turned dramatically upside down because I no longer have the level of privilege that I used to know. And, you know, when when people hear this 
hear these podcasts, recognize my voice and my first name, even though nothing else has really been, <laughs> been you know, no pictures have been shown, can, can do that on a podcast. But they'll put two and two together. They'll figure it all out. And some people will abandon me. I just know that's going to happen because I will get in the way of their certainty. I will stand in the way of everything f- being square. Yeah. I'm going to screw it up big time. We talked about this in the first podcast that people are constantly looking for you to mirror their beliefs, their worldview, <laughs> their priorities, their religious experiences back to themselves. And it makes people so uncomfortable whenever there's something incongruent in that, or when there's a, a short circuit, when there's a, how can this be if that is? or And what I yeah. hope is that if they listen to this and they figure out who I am and blah, 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 that, you know, they can go ahead and they can add same-sex attracted or gay or whatever term they want to use to the list. But I would just ask them not to put it at the top. Yeah. Could they remember all the other things that I was and am? Good and bad. Yeah, this is in the list now. But don't reduce me down to that. Mm. I'm not ashamed of it. Mm. But it's just part of me. It has not become all I am. Everything else is still there. And by the way, it always was there. Exactly. It's a part of your truth. You know, there, there, there are people who are going to want to convince me that I've made a terrible mistake. Yes. And what I would like to ask them to do before we have any further conversation is to identify one thing that they know is undeniably true about themselves mm. and spend one year denying it. Yeah. And then let me know how it went. And then when they did it for a year and they want to argue with me, then I'll ask them to do it only about 49 more years. <laughs> <laughs> and then get back with me. Yeah. Because I don't think they're going to want to do it for a year. Yeah. Because the fact is, it's difficult to stay alive and not, and not be alive. I've walked through this with you, so I know that you and I, and and Stephen too, have had a lot of conversations about this. I just wonder for the sake of the podcast and for everybody who will reference these episodes that will be interested in what you have to say in your story, in your religious or spiritual journey, in your self-actualization, whatever you want to call it. There will be people that have questions about family. They want to know what that looks like now. They want an excuse to be upset with you. They they will find it easier to be upset with you than they will to just accept you. And they'll have a but they'll have religious reasons, they'll have biases, uh, just like everybody does. But what would you say to those people, I guess, that that want to be upset with you and that want to say, but what about your family in all of this? What do they not understand? I think what they don't understand, and maybe maybe they do. Sure. I reached a point where I simply didn't want to live anymore because mm-hmm. I could not, I couldn't face another day of pretense. I, I, I just, I, I just grew weary to the point of just wanting to quit. Mm. I mean, I think it goes without saying that depression is pretty much your constant companion when, when sure. you're a gay person living yes. in this culture. Mm. So I've dealt with a lot of depression. Do I ever re- regret? What I've done to my wife and my children, yes, but, and I say the but very fast, because maybe I've taught my daughter something important about authenticity. Mm. Maybe I've shown them some level of courage. 
And I hope that inspires them. Did I leave a house where I lived in a filial kind of way, more like brother and sister? I mean, that's more the way we lived as man and wife. Sure. You know, I left a friend. I left a companion. I know that's been very painful. And I I don't underestimate how painful that has been for her. But at the same time, I wish so deeply that she could get some relief. I want deep healing for her. I want deep healing for me. I want deep healing for my daughters. I mean, I can't tell you how little I remember of their childhoods. Mm. I remember what it's like just trying to hold on and being present and very absent. Wow. Anyone who is a gay man and married with children Mm. will know exactly what I'm talking about. As loving as my family was, and you know you know them and you know me, mm-hmm. they were everything to me because they were all I had because I hid in them. They were like the cleft in the rock for me. Mm. And I adore them. They all they were all I had. And I know I, I know to say that and then to do what I've done sounds very disingenuous. But at the same time, I would love my daughters to believe that they can be really real, whatever that is. You know what? If one of them's gay, it's okay. (laughs) Mm -hmm. I don't know. I think it's interesting when I hear you put it that way. I almost feel like if I, and I, there's no, there's no way that I can know. And I don't mean to be indelicate, but it makes me feel like I would want for my parents to desire something more out of their relationship with me than being something to hide in. And I don't think that's what I I know for a fact it, that's not all that it was with with your family. Mm-mm. But I just mean as as relationships evolve as they grow, people experience a depth to their relationships that may not have been there when they leave the old formats of them behind. When I've seen this happen like in my own life, maybe there's like weird codependencies there. There's I need you for this thing. I need you to sort of plug this hole in my ship or I feel like I might sink and the relationship blossoms when something else fills the hole or we move ships or all of a sudden there's not that pressure anymore. There's not that pressure to be a supplement in this way. Now all of that energy is freed up to be something different and who knows what it could turn into. I don't know if that resonates at all, but well, if if nothing else comes from this experience Mm. What I wanted to say a second ago is as as much as I found a haven with them, yeah. sometimes being alone at my apartment is less lonely. Because you feel like you're more present with yourself? You, you said it. Mm. I mean, to be more present with yourself, because I have known the utter loneliness of being in the company of others, simply because I could not be present. And... and that's not just about being gay. That's just about the fact that think of all the possibilities of human interactions where someone says, well, let's all come together, but you be a little less like you and you be a little less of that and you be a little less of that and then everything will be just right. Well, no, no, you didn't really want us here. I can't deny how much I adore them and it sounds like I must hate them for what I've done and that nothing could be further from the truth. But we're all learning something about trusting God. Hmm. I know that. And trusting God to see us through this and hopefully all of us to a richer, deeper place with him. And I'm not and I'm not so unsure it might not be a richer, deeper place with each other. You know, I remember 
several, I forget when it was, but it was before you moved to your new place and you called me over to your house and you basically said that you'd come to the realization that you have, you know, another several decades and that if those decades are spent the way you have spent the past decades of your life, you would rather just die. One of the things that I find myself really trying to communicate to people is that there's a tangible cost to what we believe. There's a tangible cost to certain conservative beliefs, and that eventually many of us get to the point where we can no longer afford to believe those things, <laughs> that it is between that belief and our lives. And do we choose to die on the hill of that belief, mm. or do we choose to live? Mm -hmm. And for many of us, that really is what it eventually comes down to. It comes down to this standoff between life and ideology. And there are some people, and we don't know how many people there are like this, who because they don't have the resources and because they don't have the community and because they're unable to ask for help feel like their only option is to choose the ideology. And so- That's the only option I had at mm. my- Exactly, for, for yep. all those years. Yep. And, you know, it's the only option I had in my early 20s and in my and as a teen. And my hope is that through having conversations like these and telling stories like these, we can start to make that kind of choice completely unnecessary. And, you know, some people would look at me and say, oh, my God, you're so old. Why are you even bothering? You know, I mean, I, mean, I don't honestly, know. I don't know who would say that. <laughs> I understand. <laughs> you know, you. But, but honestly, you, you think, well, why? I mean... You're nigh on on to sixty. Why? I mean, come on, don't just 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 forget about it. Because life is for the living. Well, the, yes, I I agree with that, and, <laughs> and you know I do. But part of me is also saying to myself, I don't want people traveling a path that they don't necessarily have to. Mm. Absolutely. It's just, and it's you know, having come out of a a, a ghetto world where ideology and complete. Uh, what's the word I want? Allegiance to yes. that was so important. I'm much more open-hearted about stuff like that. You know, maybe you know that you're attracted to men, but you're also kind of attracted to women and you're just going to get married. I, I mean, I don't know. But, you know, for someone who's listening and they're in that shame and rage stage where they just, they, they got to do something. You've got to, you've got to get away from those people who you know, will say th such horrible things to you. Like, I have heard people testify that they've had their parents look at them and say, I'd rather you be dead than gay. Yeah. Which is, as a father, that's as about as unthinkable a thing to say as I can imagine. That you could basically look at your child and that your ideology could be so fragile mm. that you would need the death of your child to hold on to it. Mm. That's frightening. That Truth is really bomb. frightening. That yeah. is utterly frightening. It says more about that person than yeah. it does about their ideology. The, the, the only way my my faith is going to stay intact is for you to die. In the months since I, you know, since the middle of December when I made this decision, I have spent, with Stephen's help, talking to a lot of people. Yeah. I mean, I've heard a lot of stories. Yeah. I mean, anyone who would talk to me who's been on this path, I would talk to them. I've been horrified to know mm -hmm. how many people have had things that ugly said to them. And... You know, my parents are no longer living, so I won't have to face them with this. But I just, it, it 
boggles my mind. I, Timothy, I, di- I didn't even, I didn't even think about that thing about your your parents. I I know that I know that they're no longer with us anymore. But I also know that I have so. I've, it, sorry, Jesus, that oh, was loud. That was my ring. wedding ring. Actually, <laughs> <laughs> my fingers are shrinking. Um, I can only imagine what that would be like. I know that that must have been a point of contention for you and your parents, and then to feel like. There will never be an opportunity for reconciliation or for conversation or for acceptance or to know that the literally the life that spawned you into this life that you may never feel like you came to terms with it. Well, what, it we, was, what yeah. we all did is we reconciled, our, we reconciled ourselves to what the rule book said to do, what the Bible said to do. I couldn't be gay, so I'll just get married. Maybe that'll fix it, and I'll I'll play the role. And my parents died seeing me play the role. I don't know if they ever bought it. I don't know if they ever believed it, but it made them happy to believe that. Was it important to you to for for them to acknowledge the truth? Or now that you've hit this, I don't know. I actually I, I kind of want to call it an elevated mm-hmm. you that you've sort of you've left a lot of things behind, and you're experiencing life in a new way that you haven't before. Would you have wanted them to experience that with you, or does it does it not matter to you now? I don't think it matters to me now. I think given <laughs> given their ideological mindset, um, I may not have done this if they were still alive. Mm. Wow. I think my mother would have come around. I don't know about my dad. It's been said that, oh gosh, what was it? It's like, I can't remember if it's some, some Hindu uh, saying or a or a Buddhist principle, God, I'm butchering it right now. But for a man to become a man, he must see his mother die. Somebody please correct me on the internet because I'm, I, I'm, I'm messing that up to some degree. But I know, but I know. It's like you're the life that brought you into life must cease to exist for you to actualize your life in many ways. And I, mm. I feel like that's it, the, the idea of that makes more sense to me as I get not not that I'm sitting God I hope my mom's not listening to this being like he's counting down the days and that's not it at all but I just it's things like that it's yeah. it's you know s- but, sometimes but, that but, but if I had done that an extension of a kind of sacrifice sure it wouldn't have changed the reality that I I knew mm. who I was mm. and I was just waiting when I talked to my daughters they were very grateful that it was at this point in their life and not when they were in high school, you know, one's post-college, one's in college. And even though they've, they've grown up in a conservative evangelical church, they are of a generation that is different. And I don't know why, but I'm sure I'm glad because the thought of their rejection was as about as frightening a thing as I could imagine. Did you think that they would reject you? I didn't think so, but I didn't know. Hmm. So we're no longer in Kansas now. <laughs> we're, no, we're not. <laughs> we're not in Kansas anymore. Are you sure you haven't been drinking? I'm sure I haven't been drinking. <laughs> what, you know, kind of as we bring this to, to a close, what do you think the, f- the future looks like for you? What do you think coming, you know, out of the black and white world of the closet? What do you look forward to? What do you not look forward to? What do you... Th- what does this new landscape for you look like? It's easy, It's easier to breathe. It's easier to see. Mm. It's easier to be. Mm. You know, 
Will I have the pleasure of a relationship? I don't know. If that's the only thing that I wanted, then I could have all I could have done all this much easier. Hmm. I could have just cheated. Yeah. <laughs> I, I mean, you know, and for for anyone who's listened to all this is that he just wants sex. I'm going, you didn't really hear anything. <laughs> you haven't been I'm, listening. Really yeah. Listening. Because if if that's all it was about, that was the simplest thing to fix. That's not what it, this is about. It wasn't an answer to your to to the situation you found yourself. Not at all. Because, you know, same-sex attracted men that move from anonymous sex to anonymous sex to anonymous sex are living as old adolescents. Mm. They haven't grown up. They haven't grown up at all. Mm. Because they want it to be anonymous because they don't want anyone to know themselves. Mm. They, they, they don't want anyone to know them. Because in, in the dark of night, they don't know themselves either. Yeah. So don't ask me to introduce myself because I have nothing to say. I have not stopped and thought deep enough to know. Maybe there'll be someone. Maybe there won't be someone. Do I still get to wake up in the morning and say, I'm not sorry to be alive? Yeah. That's kind of cool. That's the best part about it. <laughs> That's the best cool. part. Um, as I've said to you already, I've never, I've never known my spiritual life to be as alive. Maybe I'll do some things that I was always afraid to do because I was afraid of exposure. You know, I just want to enjoy my family for the days that I have left. I know that sounds so weird to say because of what I've done, but I still think of my wife as a very close, dear, and important friend in my life. And I yeah. hope that we can retain that. And my daughters, they have lives. I want to see what they're going to do with them. Mm. I mean, I live according to a f very, I don't know how to say theos uh, theosis as, a, as an adjective. Theosis. Theosific. Based, yeah, I don't know. A theosis-based <laughs> perspective on living, which yeah. is, I love my church. I love its worship. It's the highlight of my week. I never want to not be there for worship. It's like... When you finally get theosis and you get what God is doing, and in my tradition, theosis drips off every page of the of the prayer book. Mm. You know, I'm I'm standing there in the midst of worship and I see people who look, you know, doleful, and I just want to go over and shake them and say, "Are you listening? <laughs> Do you really hear what is happening? Do you know what God is doing for you? Do you know what He's done? You know what He's going to do? He, she, it, however you want to think of God." So I just want to be more and more involved in my church in the future. I want to do more volunteer work because that's part of the transformation. I mean, when you think about historic Christianity and the concept of being more, more and more Christ-like, it's being more and more, well, the word is kenosis. The Greek word is kenosis. It means self-emptying. Hmm. We empty ourselves so Christ comes in, and then when we're out hmm. in the world, they just see Christ. It's not that you are nothing, it's that you have nothing. That's right. I want to leave a positive mark on the world. You're also an incredible voice teacher. You teach Estel. You've helped me. I've, like, even within my own band, I've been so much happier with 
my vocal performance and the way that I approach coaching other people whenever they come into the studio, literally using techniques that you taught me through Estel voice training. I think that you're even better equipped now to help people find their voice because I think you found yours. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Maybe just one last comment. Yeah. Because we've absolutely. talked about this. And that is when you take a marginalized group and you stamp them a certain way, you force an identity upon them. In doing so, you also force certain behaviors. Mm. And we've talked about this. It's almost like, you know, we, we want to caricature people so that when they behave in that caricature, we can stand on the side and wag, you know, wag our fingers and say, see. What did we tell you? That's what they're going to do. <laughs> yeah. Well, you basically gave yeah. us very little option here. Right. It would just be wonderful to see the world. And I also want to say the church, because, I mean, I really am a church person. I'm, I'm not naive. I know there's a lot of foolishness that goes on in that institution. But I do believe in the power of the sacraments and worship in transforming people's lives. I think that's really, really super important. Mm-hmm. But I would just love to see, you know, as we move on in the future, that there could be more ability for people to just live freely. Because when you live freely about yourself, a lot of demons go away. Mm-hmm. Think about ways gay people are described. They're described as animals yeah, with appetites that are uncontrolled, right? Yeah. I mean, just think of the AIDS crisis. Think of the way... Gay men were pictured at that time. I mean, they were having sex with anything that was standing still for at least five minutes. <laughs> mm-hmm. Some of that behavior was encouraged, and it still is encouraged. Because if you call someone animals... You mean the stereotype begets the stereotype. Yeah. And okay. the and, and, and the behaviors. Suppression mm. begets... Whereas, if you can basically elevate people's identity and their value and their worth and say, you find men much more attractive. That's fine. God's okay with that. He wants you to live an honorable life, a life that's that supports you in terms of your vision of yourself and other people. You know, he's not he's not against you having desires and feelings and emotions and arousals and i mean all sorts of things yeah. i mean it, i mean when you think about the way the human body is designed in terms of eroticism shoot a lot of work went into that it's pretty complex for something to be that alive and yet we act like people should be so so equipped to shut it off mm, yep it's kind of silly if you demystify some things like d is if i can use the word d taboo mm. like bring things into the realm of the everyday the common so sex doesn't have to be whispered I and mean, just talk about it like this is a human activity a human response this has been a running a running theme in the conversations happening uh in our home for probably the past month and it's just like i will purposefully go out and have outlandish conversations about sexuality just to prove to myself that it doesn't have power over me. 
that it's okay to talk about. It's okay to be weird about. It's okay to feel uncomfortable talking about it when you've been brought up in a society that constantly says, don't talk about it, don't mention it. It's something that you should be ashamed of. Don't be proud of your body. Don't flaunt your body. Don't do anything that might draw attention to yourself. It's just a, it's a repressive, not even within like, not even within how the church views homosexuality, within how it views heterosexuality. Absolutely. They're punching themselves in the dick. I mean, <laughs> it, they'll do it to anyone. It doesn't matter. Yeah. So anyway, I just, that's why I, I enjoy having these conversations because I feel like the, the detabooing is a healthier approach to talking about what actually is <laughs> the way people are. So I totally agree. I think that's a great note to end on. <laughs> do it Stephen end it if you can <laughs> if I can I've just been letting the two of you talk because I'm so I'm so brain dead right now well Timothy thank you so much for joining us it's been wonderful thank you for the privilege and Matt thank you for joining me again this I'll never week. do it again <laughs> it was was it traumatizing was this finally the so one that traumatizing. you over the edge um, I'm done. All right. Well, that's the show for this week. Thank you so much for listening. If you find yourself in a situation like the situations that Timothy has been describing, where you feel very lonely and you're in the church, you're surrounded by non-affirming people, you can always reach out to me and my team. We're willing to listen. We're willing to uh, connect you with ministries and groups that can help you out. If you find yourself in a situation that is difficult or you're in the closet, please, I'd love to hear from you. Reach out to us and we will see what we can do to get you connected to something in your area. The music is by The Jelly Rocks. The artwork is by Justin Caleb Bryant. I need to thank my team, Justin Bryant and Carson Green, for keeping me sane as I do this show. And I will see you next week. <laughs>